So the Lord had just said that, you know, he's good, gracious and merciful. And Moses had said, yep, and we're a stiff-necked people, but it's all okay because you're gracious. And so verse 10, it says this. And he, the Lord, said, behold, I make a covenant. Before all your people, I will do marvelous marvels such as have not been done in all the earth nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do for you. I also want to take you ahead to verse 24 where he says something very similar. For I will cast out nations before you and enlarge your borders. I would point out to you that he says, first of all, in verse 10, it's a covenant. So it's an agreement. And God's initiating the covenant. God always initiates the covenants. And he's, we're told that we love him because he first loved us. And he's initiating the covenant. He's, these people feel terrible. You know, they had the golden calf, 3,000 people were, died, and all these things happened. And they're still there at Mount Sinai, like, well, what are we going to do? And God's like, hey, I'm coming to you. It's good. I'm merciful. I'm gracious. I'm long-suffering. And we're going to go forward. So we need to go forward. And I'm renewing the covenant. Anytime you hear Greg Laurie or a Raul Reese or a Mike McIntosh or a Luis Palau or whatever evangelist, especially in public evangelism, they give an invitation to get saved or to what? Recommit your life to the Lord. Recommitment is a big part of our walks with the Lord because so often we need to recalibrate and get back on track. And this really is a recommitment between the Lord and them. They're making it all straight. It's like an altar call at Angel Stadium. They're, they're making it straight here. But the Lord's initiating it. He's initiating it. And he's saying, look, I'm making this covenant with you because I'm gracious and merciful, long-suffering, and forgiving. Now, in this chapter, he reminds them about their need for obedience, that they not to be ensnared by the people and be unequally yoked and all these things. But that's not the the point of our text tonight. In fact, in this text, there's a couple things that stand out to me that, that bring me forward, bring us forward to the New Testament. When you study the book of Ephesians, especially in the Calvary Chapel model, verse by verse, one of the earliest things I remember being a Calvary pastor is Pastor Chuck Smith teaching the book of Ephesians. And he talked about the first three chapters emphasizes what God has done for us before it shifts to the next three chapters, what we do in response based upon his love for us. And it's been pointed out by Pastor Chuck and others that so often leaders in ministry will emphasize what we have to do, have to do, have to do, have to do, and hope to get favor from the Lord, as opposed to what God has already done for us that gives us favor from the Lord. So instead of doing to earn, we're overflowing from what's been received as a act of love and devotion. And with that mindset, we realize here in the three things we looked at that God said as a macro statement, I make a covenant. He is initiating. But he also said in the three things we looked at, I will, I will, I will. So our emphasis tonight is on what God was promising them as a nation in a covenant, which would break down to the individual person from whoever's leading the nation, be it a king or a judge, uh, a queen or whatever, a mother, a grandmother, to the most important perceived person in Israel throughout their 1,500 years of history, to the one who might consider himself the least esteemed, 
Gideon, remember what he said? I am the, of the least tribe, of the least household, and I'm the least in my household. And he became the great judge. So whatever scope, collectively as a nation, the covenant, to the individual, God is saying, I make my covenant with you. And I will do this, and I will do that, and I will do that. And so as we come forward even to the New Testament again, thinking about first three chapters of Ephesians is what God has done for us. Even when Jesus called the apostles, Peter and John, excuse me, Peter and Andrew, then John and James collectively, he said, I will make you. And it's, it's what God does. And that's why it's reaffirming the New Testament. It's God who wills and works for us for his good pleasure that God is working in us. And with that in mind, both the context historically of the nation of Israel, the church in the New Testament, church history in our lives tonight, we're going to look at these three things that he said he would do for them and apply them to our life. He said here in verse 10, I will do marvels such as has not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. Our God is the God of marvels. This word can actually be translated uh, amazing. It can be translated miraculous. It's, it's something beyond what we think, which again goes back to Ephesians because we're told in Ephesians it's God who, that he's able to do above and beyond all that we could think or ask. God said at the very end of that part of Ephesians, emphasizing who he is and what he's done, that he's able to do above and beyond all that we could think or ask. Now, there's an Old Testament verse quoted in Corinthians by the Holy Spirit that I have not seen nor the ear heard those things that God has prepared for those who love him. When Paul, when it was revealed to Paul the things of heaven, the third heaven, describing that in 1 Corinthians, and sharing that testimony, he essentially said, and many of you know this, that he couldn't use one, one word of human dialect of any language to describe the glory of what he saw when he was caught up in heaven. The heavenly vision that Paul the Apostle received could not be articulated in intelligent thought in the human experience of time, space, and matter. Think about that. Where we're going through faith in Jesus Christ is so glorious, so beautiful, and you can read about it prophetically in the Old Testament, you can read about it in details in the New Testament, yet when Paul saw it, he... Comparing with Revelation, details of the heavenly city and these things where there's no more tears or sorrow. But Paul said that he couldn't utter one word of intelligent thought would be logos. Because logos means it's a word that's understood. That's why Jesus is the word. In the beginning was the word, the words of God, the word was God and you know, became flesh. So everything God would speak to humanity, the father, he speaks to his son, Jesus Christ. John 1.1, 1, 1, the word, never was God. Logos it means intelligent thought. So we're speaking English, and you understand English, so you understand what I'm teaching right now. And with that backdrop, when Paul saw the heavenly glory, and no wonder he always talked about heaven and couldn't wait to get there, right? He said to live as Christ and die as gain, right? Where's our citizenship? Is it on earth or is it in heaven? It's in heaven. And he couldn't use one word. So in trying to learn, you know, you have a, I have my language apps, a bunch of them, and I use them. Or I'm, you could go to language school. You could do um, 
an immersion. You can go like to Mexico or Latin America and do a three-week immersion to, you know, speak Spanish and be immersed and live with the family, stuff like that. You do the same thing with Russian or French or something like that. And you would begin to understand language. Nino, sin in Russian is, boy, you know, boy, sin, son, sin, manke, manchina, zenshina, hombre, mujer, Man, woman, right? So we can take men and women in English, Spanish, and Russian, and we, it means the exact same thing, and we understand that. This is my woman. <laughs> it's Jennifer. All right? But the glory and the marvel of heaven and what God can do until we get there is indescribable for amazement. Our destiny is so amazing, we cannot cognitively understand it. And that's why he said through Isaiah the prophet that as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts and ways above you. As much as you can meditate upon the Lord, Psalm 1-1, meditate upon his word and be at peace, the perfect peace that surpasses all understanding, we cannot grasp the amazing glory of heaven. We have to receive it by faith. Because faith is substance of things hoped for them, it's not yet seen. So that's our destiny of our amazing God and what he has for us. We're moving toward that glory. In fact, we're being transformed from glory to glory as we're prepared for that glory. And we're told in Colossians 3, when he comes in glory, it's not yet revealed what will be. But when he comes in his glory, we will be in that glory. It's so amazing, it's indescribable. We need to keep that in mind as earth is suffering. As we face tribulations and trials and afflictions. As we can be despaired beyond measure, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Perplexed beyond comprehension, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. When we're so pressed in and just overwhelmed by circumstances, we need to bear in mind that where we're going through faith in Jesus Christ is so amazing, we can't even comprehend it cognitively in the current human experience. But that being said, God does reveal amazing things to us. And when you look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, doesn't he do all things well? And he did amazing things. I mean, the widow Nain coming, coming out the city with her dead son in the casket, and Jesus walks up and he raises him from the dead. That's pretty amazing. Or when he unplugs the ears of the deaf, right? Or the lame man, take up your bed. How about one through the roof? And the, he says, which is hard to say, your sins are forgiven or arise and walk, and he does that. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing when the, the cripple can get up and just walk out with his mat. Like, whoa, that's very amazing. It's miraculous. And God's saying to them contextually, I'm going to do amazing things. I will do amazing things for you. And if you look at the Old Testament, there are amazing things that God did. I mean, Elisha's body, after he was deceased, raised, brought back to life someone who was dead. That's pretty amazing, right? The prophet with the double portion, Elisha's body, was touched by a dead man and brought him back to life. That's amazing. That's supernatural. How about Jonah three days in the fish? That seems pretty supernatural. Oh, and it's very historical. Because Jesus said, this is the only sign I'm giving you, Israel, as Jonah was three days in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be three days in the grave. Let me assure you, in the Mediterranean Sea, about 2,800 years ago, there was a prophet who ran from God. They chucked him overboard, and a giant fish prepared by the Lord swallowed him up. God kept him alive for three days in that fish and threw him up on the shore of, on, you know, kind of Syria, Turkey, that area, and said, now let's go back to it. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, and he went. That's pretty amazing. That's an amazing story. And Jesus quotes it for his ministry. 
and the proof, and it's a type of his resurrection. So there are wonderful, amazing things that God did do through the nation of Israel. Many miraculous victories, right? David defeating Goliath. What do you say? The battle's not mine, it's the battle of the Lord's. There's lots of amazing things. But as we come to the New Testament, we think about the church and the legacy of the church. There are many amazing things we see in the book of Acts, right? Peter's shadow walks by and people get saved or healed. The man who is terrified to confess Christ and denied him three times is the man that sees 3,000 people get saved on the day of Pentecost. Or how about all those guys speaking different languages with tongues of fire over them? That's pretty amazing. It's supernatural. That's what we're talking about here. So let's think about this. We need, we want, we should be crying out for amazing like yesterday for the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If we ever needed amazing, we need it right now. And however much of that amazing cup that's beyond our comprehension can overflow to us in time, space, and matter, we want to get amazing. We want to live amazing with Jesus. We want to be amazing. We need amazing coming in and overflowing. We need to bring amazing wherever we're going with the Lord these days. And whatever craziness surrounds us, we need to have amazing. Because he said, I will do amazing things in you and through you to show other people. And we need amazing. Not just this little light of mine going to let it shine. I mean like, like, like a torch, just, you know, like super torch. We need amazing. So let's ask ourselves right now, what can be amazing? And how do we obtain amazing? Well, first of all, we need to seek the Lord for amazing. And we need to believe the Lord for amazing. We need to look at the landscape of our timeline on June 20th, 2020. As we go toward the summer of 2020, beginning today. We, we need to realize we serve an amazing God. And our destiny is amazing beyond comprehension. And we need to wake up believing amazing. Amazing God working in our life and through our life. We want to show the people around us amazing. Because the most miraculous thing is someone who is selfless as opposed to selfish. The most amazing thing is someone who serves instead of expecting to be served. That's amazing. But I want more than that kind of amazing. I do want that amazing. And I want more of that amazing. But I want signs and wonders amazing. God promised in the last days he'd pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And he said, you'll prophesy, the, the women will prophesy these things. Like we want, you know, Pastor Chuck used to always emphasize for we to be with the Lord. We want everything. We want all of it. I don't want to limit God. So we want, we need to believe amazing. We need to walk amazing. We need to believe and live amazing. Amazing God, amazing expectations. It was uh, William Carey, the great missionary to India, who said, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. Now, he actually said, attempt great things, expect great things, but the context was from God, for God. So, ex- 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 attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. And we, we want to go for it. Whatever amazing God has for you, we need to get it. All of it. Because we're just passing through. We're just passing through. And we want to pour on amazing God through our lives in our timeline, whatever it is. Amazing God, amazing things. 
He promised to do marvelous things, which is amazing, miraculous things through them. And then how much more in the new covenant, which is everlasting covenant, and how much more for such a time as this? Get amazing. Believe amazing. Live amazing. That's the application. The second thing is, for it it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. So I said to the nation of Israel, it's an awesome thing that I'll do with you. Interestingly enough, this word can be translated fear. So it's a fearful thing that I'm going to do with you. It's a fearful thing for who then? The powers of darkness. It's an awesome, fearful thing. Remember when the spies came to Rahab in Jericho and she said, oh, we've heard all about you. And we've heard about what your God did for you with Sihon and Og on the other side of the river. And we've heard about what he's done. And the city is terrified in anticipation of you coming. I will do a fearful thing through you. And we know that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but spiritual entities and spiritual forces. And we are in a spiritual battle right now, as we always are, but it seems to be certainly magnified and intense for us. And there is something about having the power of the Lord in obedience to the Lord. And it's not like, again, it's not like shouting people down or being loud, but there's that power that you have in the Lord that, that strikes fear in the kingdom of darkness. And to advance the kingdom of God, we have to go against darkness because there already is darkness. And, and God wants to do things in our life that are so amazing, so powerful, that it, that it strikes fear. It's like the book of Acts where the, the, the demon says, you know, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but I don't know you. It's a real battle. And even as God used Israel to strike fear in the Canaanites and ex- expel them from the land, which God can move any people group around he wants, however he wants to. It's his business. It's his planet. It's his universe. But time and time again, God did amazing things. The book of Acts, excuse me, the book of Judges has all kinds of things where he used his fear to, to move upon people. Remember when Sisera and the battle against Sisera in the book of Judges where Deborah was leading Israel and Barak and those guys, and they, the wheels began to come off their chariots in the rain, and they said, the Midianites like, oh, the Lord fights for them. The Lord fights for them. How about when Gideon went to go listen to the camp of the Midianites? Like, and the barley loaf comes rolling down the hill, and they, and they go, this is none other than, the, than uh, Gideon. Like, God does that. See, like when David went after Goliath, he said it best, the battle is the Lord's. You come against me with a spear and a shield and these things. I come at you in the name of the Lord. And this day God will deliver you to all Israel that all can know that there is a God in Israel. And he represented, Goliath represented the demonic entities and the kingdom of darkness that they served. David was willing and available to the Lord. And he spoke truth about the Lord. And it was a spiritual battle. And it was a great victory. And one person's faith against kingdom of darkness turned the tide. And the more I think about our generation, this timeline, it's so radical because, again, the whole planet's affected by the health pandemic. I mean, I follow people all over the world, and they're all wearing masks. And, and again, churches in a, parts of, a lot of parts of the world, churches haven't met for five months and still haven't met. Everyone's so affected. I'm so grateful we can be here tonight in here in this sanctuary with our mask on. I really am, by the way. You need to know. I'm like, really? we got to wear them? I am so grateful that we are here. 
I, I really am. Because we may not be here in a couple of weeks. Who knows? Who really understands all this? The numbers, how many people have died, how many people are tested positive, what kind of tests they're doing, how they, how they make the test look or not look. I mean, who knows? But know this, it's the entire planet. And then our country and all of our instability in our country and in my personal life, all that I'm going through in my personal life. I mean, I've just got, I got the hat trick going right now. But if you just come back to the entire planet, we're all in it together. We're all in this together. God is doing something in our, unlike anything we've seen as long as I've been alive. I've never seen one event so affect the entire planet so collectively as what we're all in right now. And this is, this is our future. This is our life, man. You can't go anywhere without this, right? I can't stand these things. But then I walk into South Coast Plaza yesterday to get new shoes. I'm like, hey, get over my mask. <laughs> right? I'm not going in South Coast Plaza without a mask on. Yeah, it is what it is. The Lord's allowed it, and there's spiritual battles. And there are evil forces trying to take advantage of these things because that's what human beings do. They, they seek opportunity to do evil. But we can't fall for the evil. We need to stand against the evil. And our weapons are mighty in God for turning down strongholds that come against the gospel. So we need to be people of prayer. We need to be people who move things and have faith in the Lord to bring victory and deliverance to his people as we pray and as we cry out. And I mentioned this again, you know, from the pulpit, but I got to mention it again because I really believe it's a word from the Lord. As I think about the masters of the universe, that's what we call these people trying to take over our planet, masters of the universe. They have the, all the money, and they're funding a lot of evil. They want a global government, and they want to control everybody on this planet. They control the media. They control all this stuff. They're trying to control the countries. And who even knows what's true or not true on a lot of fronts, but these things are very true, and they're very open up front about this. And they're, you know, just total censorship. And redefining history. When, you, when you're redefining history, you're burning books. Once you burn books, <laughs> just so you know, if you don't know your history, because I'm a history major unofficially with the Lord, when they're burning books, it's a really bad sign. Because there's the intolerance for the marketplace of thought and competing thoughts. But it's a spiritual battle. And driving home from North County, I just was praying and crying to the Lord. I'm like, Lord, they really do, these masters in the universe, they have all these things, and who are we? And the Lord's like, you got to pray. And if the, if the Lord wants to do something, he'll do it. And if, he's, if we're all part of something that we just have to experience as a baptism before we step into eternity, then embrace it like a woman of God and a man of God. But we're not capitulating the gospel or the word of God. Or love and forgiveness. Jesus forgave right to the end on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And I'm just like, Lord, I don't think I'm there, but I got to be there. And so do you. And so do you and you and you. And this is the legacy of the church. And the way we get there is to be on our knees, to be praying and fighting the good fight with spiritual weapons, with, with faith and believing God to move. And I don't need people to fear me. I need the kingdom of darkness to fear us. Because we're women who pray. And we're men who pray. And the earth shakes when we pray, like the book of Acts. And we need to be praying for God's mercy, like we saw with Moses. Who can tell if the Lord would relent? And what did he do? He did relent. Who can tell if the Lord would relent? And if he doesn't relent, let it not be because we didn't pray. 
Of all things I'm thinking about, turning the halfway mark on this year, pray more, pray more, pray more, pray more, pray more. And pray for our leaders, spiritual leaders, political leaders. Instead of, like the Lord really spoke to me, instead of trying to pray people out of office, I should be praying for them to be converted in office. Because it doesn't say in 1 Timothy 2, pray that they'll not be the king anymore and you'll get a good king. It just says pray for those who are in leadership. And how many times do we think someone's going to do something a certain way and then they go a different way? And look where we're at now. The heart's deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? But you just don't know when God changes the Manasseh and when a Saul goes bad. Right? Saul looked like a good king. But what did he do? He went bad because of pride. And Manasseh was the worst king ever. But what happened to him in the end? He went good. Who can know? Like Paul said in 2 Corinthians, who's sufficient for these things? We just know that we're hard-pressed, but we're trusting in the Lord. So pray that God would do the, the, this, this mighty work that's a fearful work, and the only people that need to fear us is not people, this awesome thing, but that the kingdom of darkness would fear the awesome things that God is doing in our life. I think of people like Brian McDaniel going to Haiti. Can you imagine the spiritual battles Brian McDaniel's fought for the last 10 years in the ministry in Haiti? You had to plant eight churches in a voodoo nation, my goodness, I planted one church in Vermont. I'm still recovering from it. Planting a church in Orange County is like a home game. We got K-Wave. We got 92.7. We got 100.3. We got the fish. We got Rick Warren down the street. We got these guys up here. Man, it's like a home game. You go to a voodoo nation and you plant churches in villages that are just entrenched with centuries of darkness and evil, someone's got to fight those battles. Whenever I hear Daniel, Brian McDaniel tell a story about Haiti, I just go, oh, man, I can't even believe. And he's always like, hey, 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 listen to what happened on this last trip. If you know Brian McDaniel, that's how he talks. And then like, oh, dude, he's like, no, hey, let's pray. He always wants to pray because he's learned that planting churches in Haiti, you better pray a lot. So we want, we want, we want this amazing stuff, this word awesome here, in, in verse 10, is, it, it literally is fearful. It's, it's amazingly fearful. It's like, whoa. And we want the demons to tremble because God is mighty in us and we're believing him for mighty things. We can't shrink back from the battle. I think of all the things that men and women have fought for in time, space, and matter to lose, what we fight for, we've already won, or we're, we're fighting for on our knees, not with physical force, but with laboring fervently in prayer like Ari Starchus in Colossians, and we've already won. We're praying from victory. We're not praying in hopes of victory. We're praying from victory. And if James gets beheaded, he gets beheaded. And if Peter gets released by angels, he gets released by angels. But the Lord knows. A fearful thing through his church right now, more than any other time. And then finally, verse 24, for I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. We want the Lord to cast out everything contrary to his will in our personal life, in our homes, in our community, and in our sphere of influence. And we want him to, to cast out all oh, our weapons are mighty in God for tearing down strongholds that exalt themselves against Jesus Christ. To go forward in the Lord, whatever God wants to do is he affirms that covenant for them. That he's saying, I will drive these things out. 
and I will enlarge your borders. How many people strive to force something out in their own strength and to no avail? And how many people strive to build a kingdom in their own flesh that can't expand because it's limited to man? So who, who can do a better job driving out which is conscious to the Lord than the Lord himself? And who can do a better job expanding which is the Lord than the Lord himself? And here he says, I will. So we want to be reminded tonight on this third and final point that God fights our battles and he will drive out those things on all fronts as far as he wants to and is determined to advance his will in our life. So let's think about this. As the church, okay, well, Israel history we know. So the context, of course, is Israel. They had full borders they were supposed to have. You know, they never got their full borders because they got content. He said that Jeshua became fat and content, lazy, essentially. In our life, we don't want to come short of the borders. It's like the prayer of Jabez, that you would enlarge my tent, you know, like there in First Chronicles, that... As we think about our personal lives, we need to think about, like, how far are the borders of our personal life? And as we think about the influence and the impact of our personal life before we step into eternity, we need to think about that the greatest impact, of course, is the character of Christ in our life. If the personal life has the character of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, then that life can really extend far for the kingdom. But if the personal character is lacking, it's, it's limited. It's like an athlete that's injured. It has a bad injury. It's like, man, it's always hard to watch a great athlete on the biggest stage, like the World Series or Super Bowl, that's injured, and they're just not, they just don't have it. It's hard to watch that. That's what it's like when your character's not there with Christ. You're like, you're like LT on the sidelines of a Chargers AFC Championship game, and you can't play. That's a Charger fan from a long time ago, but one of the greatest running backs of all time. He was injured in the biggest Charger game in their history uh, at the Patriots in the AFC Championship game, and he couldn't play. He stood there with his Darth Vader shade mask on for an entire game, and we loved LT. We were like, so hard to watch, but he couldn't play. Things happen. But when the character's right, it's like you're at full strength. So that's why the character is so important, that the heart is tender, that let your gentleness be made known to all men, that, that character of Christ, that humility, that goodness, that gentleness, the soft answer, that those things are in play because as that character is there, the boundary is expanding. See, the ultimate boundary expanding, first and foremost, is the life of Christ in our life. That, you're, that we can be the fullest version of who we're supposed to be as a woman of God or a man of God in the, with the Spirit of God glorifying Christ. That's, that's, that's the border. And we want that to extend as far as it can go. And I say this every year. When I end one year and start a new year, I want to get more of that as opposed to less, right? Some people retract from the things and their best days of character with Christ are in the past. In the, in the Chronicles and Kings of some 40 kings, almost all of them finished worse than how they began. But we want to go from glory to glory and we want to expand that boundary of character of Christ in our life. We want to be a greater version. And again, Our lane is with Christ, and whatever's going on around us, it it shouldn't dumb us down culturally or spiritually or in character to act the same way. Just because other people act like animals doesn't mean we act like animals. Just because other people move toward lawlessness doesn't mean we move toward lawlessness. You see, the external doesn't change our internal. Our internal should impact the external. And that's, that's where we need to be. I think that's where many of you are. 
That's where I'm trying to be. And it usually comes through brokenness, and it comes through hard times. The character generally comes from suffering. I mean, why does everyone watch John Corson? I talk about this all the time. Like, John Corson speaks right now. It's like everyone's listening to John Corson. He resigns as a pastor so his son, Benny, can be the pastor. But now anything John Corson says, everyone's just like, it's like radio-free Europe. They're all like, because he has grown and his boundaries expanded in his walk with Christ through all of his sufferings. His wife, his daughter, his son. Like, tragedy and grief has made him expand his boundaries in Christ. And so I want to listen to what he has to say because that's a man we want to listen to. Or Anne Graham Lotz with her cancer. And then she's got something to say. I want to hear what Anne Graham Lotz has to say. Through her suffering, that's an expanding boundary. And if that boundary of character is expanding, then all the ways that God can use us is expanding. That'll just naturally happen. So again, we don't need stunted, limited things because we've done it. See, the one thing we really control is our character, right? I mean, it's kind of like Romans 8 where it says, what can separate us from the love of God? Famine, peril, sword. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Well, in the same sense, we all choose in our own heart, with our own conscience, the higher law of God to, to grow in the Lord. And we choose how much character of Christ and how spirit-filled we want to be. And we choose how much we don't want to be spirit-filled. We choose how much we want to compromise, how much we want to be carnal, how prideful we want to be. We, we choose these things. See, we have those choices. And governments don't take that from us. Good governments don't give it to us, and bad governments don't take it from us. It's our own volitional will to let the boundaries expand of the character of Christ more and more and more. And we just have to expand. We just have to expand right now. And God says, I will, I will drive out the things before you and enlarge your borders. And we need the border of character of Christ. And I know, like, the context was physical, but really is a principle here. My Heart, Christ Home is a famous book. And that's what we need to be. That's, that's, that's our only option right now, Body of Christ. That is our only option in this science fiction world we're living in right now. Our only option is to grow in the character of Christ. More of his word, more prayer, more of the right things going in and keeping the bad things out. And even if you're kind of clueless to current events, that's okay. Because the real event is you represent, you being like Christ and being used by Christ and going to Christ. And those, the boundary of character expands and then the ministry expands and it's good things. You know, my sister said something to me. I just got to share this because other than the fact they just got my attention. But my sister has been through so much. She said that um, she's kind of always afraid of me. I'm like, oh, that's sad. She goes, but I'm not afraid of you. She goes, I've, I've learned in this last six months, you're, really, you're a really nice man. I'm like, golly. Should I write a check or a money order? Like, you know, do you take credit cards? Like, but my sister's like, I... Like, you're a really nice man. I'm like, thanks, Barbie. I'm certainly a broken one. You want me to cry? You want me to dance? Put a quarter in the machine and we'll, you know, like, but like, seriously, like, we're all being broken. And the fragrance of Christ can come out from that broken flask. And that's, we got, we just got to embrace it and we got to go forward. And when you, when you wake up and you look in the mirror and you begin your day, just say, Lord, enlarge your borders through my life. Enlarge the influence of my life 
Let me just bring life and encouragement wherever I go. Let me be just uh, edifying and encouraging. Let me be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Let me speak life, and by all means, do not yell or scream, because Jesus does not yell or scream. Just a soft answer turns away wrath, and we're to speak and build up people with our words. And we speak truth. There's no compromise in the truth, and they're, they're coming for the truth. Some to be saved and some to stop it. So speak truth. Stay in our lane. Expect amazing things from our amazing God, the miraculous. You can just speak, Lord, we serve a supernatural God and work supernatural in my life. Expect super awesome fear to go out of you against the kingdom of darkness. Be planet shakers and kingdom movers. And then believe God to expand his good work in our lives and through our lives. This was them for a nation. This is the church in the book of Acts through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is the legacy of the church. We make things better. And people attack the church. And they attack and redefine history. And they demonize the church. But know this. The legacy of Jesus Christ is always a good thing in our lives. And the influence from our lives. So that's something we can, we can stay on point with, right? Right?